This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Embody. With me, Shay Dixon. We're going to be taking you through the early signing period for LSU, the first day of that early signing period on Wednesday, which is really just becoming the national signing day for most of these high school prospects. And LSU signed a majority of their class. They kind of had a up and down day, so to speak. But we're going to run it all down for you and, and, and talk about what it means, what's next, and how the Tigers might try to finish things out in the 2020 class, which ranks number five nationally on the 24-7 Sports Composite Team Recruiting Rankings. Shay, we're going to go through this overall from start to finish, but what do you think of the day for LSU? You know, I mean, I think the biggest thing to look at for me is um, not even the two new guys, um, you know, that they added with the announcements or uh, the two receivers they lost out on, but the, the 17 guys that they signed that had already been committed uh, the whole time. I mean, you look at, uh, from the start, um, they had made a focus on out of state and you hold on to a lot of guys. You added guys like Eric Gilbert along the way and um, even circling back to Louisiana, Jaquel and Roy and Jacoby and Guillory and um, keeping Keishon Butte and Coy Moore, uh, adding, you know, D linemen like Eric Taylor and, and Ali Gay out of Juco, um, shoring up some some real positions of need at, at linebacker, at edge rusher. Um, cornerback getting Elias Ricks. This this class was so highly thought of all along because they had done stuff like that and beaten out some really good teams for everybody. Uh, and then you get to a signing day where everybody kind of figured that they were going to get Marcus Dumerville and Philip Webb, and they did. Um, but then when the bad news happens and you don't get, um, you know, a couple of your receivers go the opposite way, and you tried swinging for the fences with Jordan Birch, and uh, and you know don't get him. He, he goes to South Carolina. It feels like. Uh, like a doom and gloom day, you know, like, oh, man, nothing worked out for us. But uh, I point to that, you know, the group that they already had, which was the foundation of the class. You know, it was 17 of, of ultimately maybe 25 guys uh, that stuck with them and that they had recruited hard and uh, that now, um, you know, come into the program with a handful of early enrollees and a lot of guys that uh, can really help them build some talented depth. Yeah, I, I do think overall this class answers a lot of questions for the most part so far on this roster, especially on the defensive line. I thought they did a terrific job. Linebackers in really good shape for the future. Safety with with Jordan Tolls in there. Uh, he's really, really good. And we'll kind of run most of it down. But starting with the big news that kicked off the morning, I would say, um, as we got going on, on watching the announcements on ESPN or our live streams or wherever, but Marcus Dumerville, the top 100 offensive tackle, uh, top 100 overall prospect, he ends up announcing in a long-winded uh, announcement that he is, in fact, going to LSU, which is one that I think you got to give LSU a lot of credit for. They had him on campus in the spring for an official visit, and they just held on to that lead and, and never relinquished it. Yeah, no doubt. And I thought that 
that addresses a major need. I mean, you needed a left tackle type prospect in this class. And um, they had buckled in on him early, as you said, credit to James Craig. Um, he had a really good showing at the opening, you know, won a state title with St. Thomas uh, Aquinas. And um, for me, was one of the certainly best available options in the trenches uh, down the stretch. To, so, you know, for the first announcement of the day uh, to get him locked in, even though they knew, um, look, he'd been telling them for months, you know, you're the team to beat. I'm, I'm coming. I want in. But uh, for it to be public and then very quickly become official with his signature, uh, that, that was big for him. We, we've always said they needed uh, tackle type prospects and they get it uh, in a guy like Dumerville. And then kind of shortly after that, we had broke it because the, the, the announcement didn't go as planned on ESPNU. They had issues with the, with the cell, cell service and the, and the satellite service of that. But Philip Webb jumps on board, the four-star outside linebacker that really, again, in the summer, LSU felt really good coming off that official visit. Looked like he was going to take some visits elsewhere. He did. And then LSU got him back on campus for an unofficial visit and really, from there, locked him up. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy Dave Aranda had really prioritized. And there was that point in time where Alec Bryant uh, and Damon Clowney were their two edge rushers. And um, we saw them moving towards this kind of feel of, yeah, we would like a couple edge rushers. But um, as we you know, further our senior evals and as we get into uh, really recruiting everybody, um, you know, how do we shape it? And ultimately... Um, Clowney and, and Bryant went in, in different directions. They, they kind of mutually parted ways, I guess you could say. Uh, and then they finished with B.J. Ojolari, a flip from Tennessee. And then you get Webb. So um, when you look at that, I think you feel good about how they ended at edge rusher. And uh, as O said, you know, Ojolari's played both ways whenever he's focused just on being an edge rusher, being an outside linebacker. Uh, he's only going to improve his game. And uh, Webb's certainly the best available out there. Uh, when it came to uncommitted outside linebackers, guys who could be in that Caleb on chase on mold uh, of how LSU uses those stand-up edge rushers uh, around and then felt like he was as good as it gets. And he had made some visits, obviously, Bama, Florida, um, OU is in the mix at one point, but it was pretty evident to us that nobody had really grabbed his attention like LSU did. Yeah, no doubt. And and he's just, it seems like a great, great guy talking with him at the opening, really had his head on his shoulder straight. Just a really bright linebacker that LSU can add to the fold. Now, kind of starts to, I would say, unravel here as we navigate the rest of this day for LSU. But Rakim Jarrett, longtime commit, supposed to sign late, ends up announcing, I'm staying at the crib, going to Maryland. This is uh, this was something where I had kind of heard that, you know what, this day for LSU might not go really well there might be a real surprise flip and I guess when it I was talking to that person this was what they were talking about where Kim Jarrett heads to Maryland stays at home and um was the first of eventually two key wide receiver commits to to defect to other colleges yeah I mean you could knock both these out at the same time and and how we're talking about it I mean Rakeem Jarrett choosing Maryland and and Jermaine Burton ultimately flipping to Georgia um both of them technically are staying home i mean uh, burton's from georgia his mom's moving back there from california when he's done at calabasas uh and it kind of writing was almost on the wall for us to see that uh this was a kid who went to four high schools in four years he'd been all over the country he'd been committed to miami at one point decommitted committed to lsu but 
a couple of late visits to Georgia that LSU didn't know about uh, until they were either kind of going on or right after the fact, which is never a great sign. Um, but they had buckled in. And uh, as O said, you talk to kids and they say, hey, look, we're coming. And the next day they don't. Uh, and that's just kind of how recruiting works. And with Jarrett, we spent so much time wondering, is it LSU or is it Bama? And he made the official to Bama and it's still that. But in that mix, he visited Maryland on, uh, officially uh, right when December got rolling. Uh, and it was obvious that now that Michael Oxley and uh, whatever had happened on that visit had, had convinced Jarrett uh, to look, go ahead and, uh, and stay home for college. And Jarrett had even said to start the week, I'm not signing anywhere this week. I'm going to sign in February. I'm not even allowed to sign this week. And then he sets up this sort of signing day surprise uh, of announcing that he had flipped and was staying home at Maryland. And uh, if I'm an LSU fan, I just say, look, if, if we've got the number one offense in the country, the number one passing game in the country, 13-0, number one seed in the playoffs, Heisman winner, Bolitnikoff winner for best receiver, Joe Moore award winner for best O-lines, and a receiver doesn't want to come play now with you know multiple receivers over 1,000 yards on the year, three starters at double-digit touchdowns. That's never happened for LSU before in the program's history. Uh, if you've got guys who ultimately committed and, uh, and were part of that and then backed out and went elsewhere in the 11th hour, you may not have ever really been getting them. You know, you might have always been setting yourself up there for uh, them to, to shift on you. So uh, they move forward with Coy Moore and, and Keishon Butte, two Louisiana kids. And uh, we'll see if they add anybody else between uh, now and February. But uh, I do think that while it did sting, um, you know, if we if we step back and reflect uh, after the fact, and, and obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, uh, we can see how both these were obviously brewing all along. Yeah, and, and that's where it, it, it's kind of a tough situation for LSU. I mean, you, you you look at it and you see kind of the actions late in the in the in the cycle by by both of those guys. Maybe they could have brought another twenty twenty wide receiver in on an official visit, but you know, if they're if they're always going elsewhere, does it really matter? You know, if you're worried about ticking them off, you feel like you're fighting for them. You're getting told one thing by Burton and another by Rakim as well. It's a tough little thing to kind of monitor and, and try to figure out, but um, they need a third wide receiver in this class. I think uh, they need a difference maker and they got to try to figure out a way to get one in the, in the late signing period. We'll see uh, if they can do it. There's not many out there right now that I would say might be worth uh, the squeeze to try and take, but uh, another uh, prospect that I think look, and this is now just continuing to rage on because he hasn't signed, but five-star Jordan Birch announced for South Carolina, the in-state school I thought a lot of the writing on the wall was maybe for him to go out of state. thought maybe the compromise would be Georgia, maybe LSU, go play for a contender. But it uh, seems like Will Muschamp, at least for the time being, did a terrific job uh, getting Birch to at least announce on national signing day on, on or the early signing period Wednesday. And LSU, that was kind of the end of their their day. Yeah, I mean, and you look, too, had they held on to Jarrett and Burton, who were commitments, and Land, Doomerville, and Webb, Birch was really just going to be considered sort of the icing on top of an unbelievable run from, you know, landing all those guys and the surprise Eric Gilbert commitment. And um, him going to South Carolina or going anywhere that wasn't LSU wasn't some, like, major shocker, really. They'd done such a good job of, of keeping things quiet that nobody truly had a feel for for which way he might be leaning. And, and a lot of people's guesses were just as good as the next person. And he ultimately chooses to stay home. He has not signed yet. Um, our site, you know, Plano, uh, excuse me, the, the South Carolina site is 
uh, reported that he's going to, for now, wait till February to sign. That we don't really know the complete backstory there, but uh, you'll imagine that colleges, including LSU, will continue to court him until he's actually signed. Um, but uh, you know, I think that one it stung, but in my mind, and he's probably you know, look, I, is Jordan Birch better than the two receivers they lost, or more important, probably, but. They never had him. They had the other two. And, and I think that's losing the other two and, and not getting him is what kind of made the day feel like uh, you didn't really finish with a bang. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the the thing where I think it's interesting is when LSU got Eric Gilbert and kind of shocked the world and has now held on to him, that was kind of, I think, part of the, uh, the uh, idea that maybe they can come through and get Birch. So, yeah, I'm with you. Birch would have been icing on the cake. Burton and Jarrett, the two bigger storylines, I think, of the day for LSU. Another one that is um, just never-ending, Zach Evans. Uh, I think we got to talk about him. He's probably the number, probably one of the biggest targets, at least in name, on the board for LSU. We'll kind of see where they go. Running back, they need a running back. Zach Evans is still out there. He didn't sign, at least publicly, during the early signing period. And he's supposed to announce at the Under Armour game in in uh, in January. We don't have to spend too much time on him because there's going to be tons of time to talk about it, I'm sure. But uh, what's your take on where things stand, Shay? I mean, I'm with you. I mean, anybody. Evans has just been so all over the map with where he might be leaning and what might be really going on and when he's going to announce or when he's going to commit or when he's going to sign um, or any of that. I mean, it's just been that sort of theme throughout. and. Uh, I'm most curious now. LSU needs a running back. They're going to sign a running back by February uh, or test the the grad transfer market one, whatever you want to say. They need another running back on roster for next year if you're anticipating Clyde Edwards-Elair going pro. Um, is it going to be Evans? I'm not really sure at this stage. And um, look, A&M, LSU, I think all these teams are in the same boat where you have to somehow, Billy, figure out how long do we wait if we're not getting a, a, a signed letter of intent right now and do we move on to guys like Jameer Gibbs or Rashad Clayton in New Orleans or some of these other kids around the country who have not committed yet uh, just because you cannot get left at the altar uh, with nobody come, uh, you know, the end of the signing period? Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head with, with Zach. It'll be interesting to see where LSU goes. For now, we're going to take a quick break from the podcast. On the other side of it, we're going to touch on the class that is signed with LSU, kind of point to some guys that uh, stand out throughout the positions. And then on the other side of that, we'll talk about some of the remaining late signing period targets other than Zach Evans. So with that, we're going to take a quick break from the Go 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
Welcome back to the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. Quick reminder, guys, subscribe to Go 24-7. Get on board now as LSU is set to go on its run in the college football playoff against Oklahoma. And then uh, certainly if they can win that one in the Peach Bowl, move on to the national championship game. We're talking recruiting on the po- this podcast. Ed Ogeron did meet with the media and discussed uh, Clyde edwards Elair's injury. He didn't give up much. He said the severity is unclear, so I did want to make sure we didn't just do a podcast and completely ignore that. But uh, we'll have plenty more coverage on that. Shay, uh, as you run down the list of signees, what are one or two maybe on each side of the ball for you that stand out? I mean, I think the most college-ready guy is Eric Gilbert at tight end. I think he's special. He's been really impressed with Marietta, obviously. Um, And he's got the blend of athleticism and size and um, just ability uh, that can make an early impact. So he jumps out at me for sure. Uh, We'll see. You know, we're assuming Justin Jefferson goes pro, but they still got Trey Palmer and Marshall and Chase uh, and Dre Jenkins and some guys in the receiver room, McMath. Uh, who can get the job done. So does one of these guys uh, ultimately find their way onto the field? I'm not sure. Um, and the same with the O-line. You know, I don't, I don't know how pressing their needs will be uh, after everybody decides that they're staying or going. Just so much of that just depends. Um, but I think regardless, like if you – whether guys go pro the position or don't, uh, I look at Eric Gilbert. Um, I kind of look at a guy like Elias Ricks and Jordan Tolles and – Rick's enrolling early, and I, and I don't want to say that, and I'm not going to say, in fact, I'll say the opposite. Rick's is not going to be Stingley. What you saw from Stingley this year uh, and what you saw from him coming out of high school was rare. It just doesn't happen um, that often, you know, kind of once in a blue moon type of guy, a generational talent, uh, as people will say. Uh, but we see how often they play corners. I mean, they were playing Cordell Flott and Jay Ward, and, and Ray Darius Jones was banged up, obviously, at times, but he got out there. So, uh, the, even with, you know, guys like Stingley and Christian Fulton, you still were turning to people like that. And I think Rick's getting in early, getting to be around uh, that group of younger guys um, in, in Stingley and Ward and, uh, and Flott and Jones will help him and, uh, and potentially get him to the point where he can play some next year. And we saw this year, Billy. I mean, they, they needed at the end of the year, you said, oh, God, like, thank God they signed Mo Hampton. Like, you know, they had, had some uh, attrition at safety with guys entering the portal and, Grant Delpit was a bit banged up, and Todd Harris uh, has a knee injury and is missing for the year, and Eric Monroe is a bit banged up, and it just sort of your kind of garden variety, you know, run-of-the-mill season happens where you need to dive into your depth, and because of that, I could see Jordan Tolls. I mean, we could see Jacoby Stevens and Grant Delpit both go pro and then be looking at a situation where guys like Hampton and, and Monroe and, and Harris coming off injury are obviously battling for a starting job, but They'll need more than that, and we'll see if they don't add another safety late. But uh, I think Tolls is talented enough. He's physically mature, and um, as a two-sport athlete, you know, playing pretty high competition at St. Francis in basketball and in football, um, that he wouldn't be sort of afraid of the big stage. I won't be surprised if he has somewhat of a similar year, maybe even playing more than a guy like Mo Hampton did this year. Yeah, I, I like your two picks. The the Eric Gilbert one, really a tough one for you to make, I'm sure, with uh, just how talented he is. He is a you know, the National Gatorade Player of the Year as well. So really impressive, over a thousand yards uh, on his senior year, over a hundred catches, fourteen touchdowns, just incredible. Jordan Tolls, I'm with you as well. He he reminds me a little bit 
uh, about Delpit uh, of Delpit, just kind of the way his body looks. And, and then I think he's kind of got that similar upside to Jacoby Stevens playing in the box. For me, I think Kayshawn Butte is somebody that stands out to me, just his speed, his athleticism. If you're going to lose Justin Jefferson, he's somebody that could have maybe a similar impact or, or, or at least role to a Jamar Chase or a Terrace Marshall when they were freshmen, you know, seeing the field a lot um, and, and, and being able to contribute in spurts as they kind of grasp this offense and, and get into uh, the groove. If, if Trey Palmer needs a break, you know, Kayshawn Butte uh, is somebody that could step in there, but um, Butte is, is world has world-class speed is really impressive. And, and I, I, I look for some big things uh, from him. And, and then for me, long-term, I think Josh White is one of the best prospects in this class. He's somebody that has incredible speed. I mean, he really does for his size. Um, he's running on the 4 by 100 team at Houston Side Creek. He's going to run a bunch of track events this spring, and he's got that high 4-4 four, four type of speed there uh, that they can roll into the defense. So he kind of reminds me a little bit of a, of a Patrick Queen, just a very natural athlete, somebody who could run around, make plays. He's not as big as Patrick Queen is or was in high school coming out of Livonia, but uh, a really good athlete nonetheless. Uh, for now, LSU, 19 signees, six spots remaining. They didn't sign Cameron Jackson in the early period. Lorando Johnson did not sign with the Tigers either. He's not expected to be in this class at, at this point. Shay, they've, they've got some places they can go. Um, highlight maybe one or two for, for LSU fans to keep an eye on, and then they can look kind of down the line at, at go 24 seven and, and see what we're kind of watching. Yeah. I mean, I think running back is, is an obvious one. We've touched on that already on the podcast, whether it's Zach Evans or someone else, I think that they're going to want to hit on that. Um, Orgeron on Thursday talked about D line and he said, look, there's two or three guys out there that were in the lead group on that we really like. And McKinley Jackson would be in that, that mix and, and obviously some others, but, uh, I would say that would be, you know, you wanted to stack up big time. They've signed some great guys already. But uh, if you want more than that, then then that's still in play. And, and DB, because whether it's a corner, maybe more so a safety, um, just because of the Malcolm Green decommitment, they had wanted two safeties. They only have tolls uh, right now. I look at that group as, as what really jumps out to me even more, just in my mind, and I'm not saying they're not going to take a receiver, but even more than receiver, knowing that they lost two guys, I don't think is, the end of the world, because I do think even with Justin Jefferson potentially going pro or probably going pro, um, th- they've got some guys on the roster and then you throw in Butte and more and you really aren't in that bad of a spot, certainly not dire straits to where uh, if you need to spend these final six spots on other positions, you know, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, no doubt. They do have a chance to make a splash. We'll see. It's kind of uh you know, I think fans are going to take a second to kind of recover from uh, Wednesday and kind of how things finish. But they do have a chance to make a splash. They, I don't think the the number one class is maybe in play for them anymore. But uh, they can make a cl- make a, a couple splashes. Maybe Evans, maybe McKinley Jackson, uh, finish out the 2020 class strong, and and maybe even hold over some some guys that uh, or some spots for a transfer or looking down the line. Um, you know, for, for the 2021 class. So with that, guys, I think we've covered the 2020 class pretty well for you guys. Keep it locked on Go 24-7. We're going to continue to kind of break down what the 2020 class means for LSU, some remaining targets they could go after. And uh, after that, kind of turning our attention to the college football playoff and 
LSU's matchup with Oklahoma next week. So keep it locked on Go 24-7, 24-7 sports for that. For Shade Hickson, I'm Billy Embody. Thanks for listening.